You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this first lesson of Handling Stress, titled The Shepherd, Philip Edwards will highlight the importance of stepping beyond the words of God to personally relate to the one who wants to shepherd us. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk for all our latest news and to see the other ministries we have to offer. Also, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can do so by going to Arise Ministry UK. And now, over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome everyone to this uh, new module on handling stress, handling or managing stress. Before we look at it, uh, let's just uh, pray and uh, uh, just ask God to really open our understanding, our minds, so we can just receive everything that the Holy Spirit has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come and look at your word and uh, Lord, all the wonderful things that have happened in our life and the wonderful things that you want to do for us and in us and through us. Father, we just commit ourselves this evening to look at your word, to study it, and for you by your spirit to just reveal truth into our hearts that we might move on in you and we might overcome everything the enemy would bring against us as we live and walk according to your word and in relationship with you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, handling stress. Something that is probably we all have to learn how to deal with it. And uh, the scripture is really helpful in this, uh, this whole area of our lives. I love teaching on this subject. One, because it's really practical and it applies to everybody's life. We all become stressed. Stress comes to us. It's part of life. And we have to learn to manage it, to handle it. Otherwise, we fall foul of what the enemy wants to do in our life, which is to kill, to steal, and to destroy the work of Christ in our lives. I love this module because it does something that perhaps not all the other modules do. Sometimes the teaching that we receive, it, it, it's about how to do something. There's nothing wrong in that. We need to learn as much how to do something uh, all the time. Uh, how to minister, how to evangelise, how to pray, how to, how to do so many things. It also goes beyond simply what the Bible says. Um, the Bible is vital. It's important. Everything that God has said, everything that Jesus has said is vital to us. So I'm not saying these things aren't good. They're important and they're vital. But this teaching goes beyond simply how to do something or what the Bible says. It covers those things. But it leads us into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and God himself. This is vital for the Christian It's not simply we have a relationship with the book, but we have a relationship with the person. And at first, when we come to Christ, that's not too clear and obvious to us. Nicky Gumbel, the the man who leads up the whole Alpha Talks and Alpha Ministry, he stresses this point in one of his talks. He says, Christianity 
is much more than a religion. Of course, Christianity is a religion, but it's much more than other religions, I think is what he's saying, in that it is taking us into a personal relationship with God himself. Other religions don't do that. But Christianity doesn't stop at telling us how to live our lives, but it takes us into a a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Saviour, and God, his Father. Christianity, I see it as a development of relationships. As a new convert, when we come to Christ, we know nothing of Christ. We know nothing of God, really. We know nothing of his word. So our relationship, probably when we first come to Christ, is a relationship that we have with our salvation. It is what we have felt, what we have experienced. Now, many of you have gone way past that point of simply having a relationship with this thing called salvation. But that's where it starts. John, in 1 John 1.12, he says this. He says, I write to you, dear children. So he's talking about the first stage of Christianity. He says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. All we know when we first come into this Christian life, this faith, is that we've, we've engaged with this thing called salvation. Like I say, we know little about Jesus or about God or about his word. But the first thing is a is a relationship with an experience that we've had. We might feel joy or thrilled when we get saved or peace. I remember a young man who was in our church a while ago and he spoke about when he had that conversion experience and he left the church and he sat in his car. He said for the first time in his life he experienced peace. I mean, he was a bit of a criminal and a bad boy, but he, he just, he, it was almost tangible, this piece. He knew nothing of God, nothing of Jesus, nothing really of the Bible. So he was having this experience with this thing called salvation. Some people just experience a, a sense of coming home as though, a bit like the prodigal really, coming home to God. For some, it's a new start of life a turnover, a beginning again. For others, it's discovering the truth as though they've been sold a lie all their lives. Being set free is another way that people can experience this first stage of salvation. Our second is a relationship, our second experience really, or the second relationship we have is one with the the precious word of God. Uh, It's probably the second rather than uh, meeting God and Jesus. We meet him in in a way through the word. Everything that we see in Jesus or we see in God, it always comes through words. Again, John says something like this in 1 John 1.14. He says, I write to you young men. Before he said, I write to you children. Now he's saying, I write to you young men because you are strong And the word of God lives in you and you have become and you have overcome rather the evil one. So we see this development in our Christian life. First, a relationship with salvation. Then we enter into a relationship with the word. The word of God becomes life to us. We read it and 
It's the words of Jesus, the words that come from the pages, they give us life. It's truth. It, it, we understand it to be truth. As we read it, our faith builds within us. The word of God says it transforms our mind. It not only gives us new things to think about, but the very process of thinking, it comes and transforms the way that we think. The final relationship that we have when we come into salvation and we start to grow in the things of God is to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, you've probably already, all of you, I would presume, enjoyed that relationship of salvation, the feelings, the emotions, uh, the truth of it. Then you've developed a, an understanding of the Word of God, and the Word of God means a lot to you. But there is this other stage now in that we must come into this personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is real. The Father is real. And so this final stage for us is coming into that personal relationship. This course will help us to understand what I mean by that. I'll give you that third verse then from 1 John 1, and it's 13 this time. It's nestled between the other two. He says, I write to you fathers. See, first he says, I write to you children because you know you're saved. I write to you young men because you have got to terms with the word of God. You've started to embrace the word of God. Now he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him, God, Christ, who is from the beginning. So the, you could say the goal of this Christian life, the goal of this growing up is that we grow into a living experience with God himself. Often when you hear people teaching and preaching, it is though that God is distant and we're here and God's there. So we have to go to God, go to God in prayer. Uh, set yourself aside so you can seek God. That's all good at the start, but let me just suggest to you that we grow into the place where we don't go to God, but we live with him permanently. He never leaves us. He never leaves our side. And we live with the consciousness of the presence of God. Now, many things in our life where if we want to experience victory over things in our life, we've got to come to this place where we realize 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, we are living in the presence of God. That's where God wants to bring us to. We don't go to him and leave him. We don't go to him and then come away. We simply live with him all the time. In this study of handling stress, we'll clearly see how through our personal, personal intimate relationship with our Lord and Saviour, we eventually can reign in life. Without that personal, constant relationship, we can't reign in life as he intends. Handling stress then. There's quite a lot of statistical work and surveys done on stress. In fact, when I looked up a few, I, I, there were too many really to, to, to deal with. So I've just taken a few stats about stress. Uh, 
one of them refers to the US and the rest are related to the UK and there are figures that relate to 2019 and I've got one or two that relate to 220 but you'll have an idea of the effects of stress on the nation, on people generally. It said in the UK last year a survey indicated that as many as 74% of the population felt overwhelmed or unable to cope at times. Life just got too much for them. It was just too much. It is the single biggest cause of sickness absence from work in the UK. Officially, 17.9 million working days were lost due to work-related stress in the UK. Stress is linked to six of the leading causes of death. Heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accident, uh, sorry, accidents, yes, cirrhosis of the liver, suicide. These major causes of death, doctors have said in many cases, they're linked to stress. This is a survey that was done by the Mental Health Foundation and it was just last Christmas. I'll just give you a couple from here. It said over 54%, over half, sorry, 54% are worried about becoming ill with COVID-19. Almost two thirds, that is 64% of the population are worried about passing uh, on COVID-19 if they become sick of the virus. So uh, there's many things to come all the time and stress us. And of course, this last year that we've gone through, there's been many things to stress us. You might have felt stressed yourself, being locked in, not, a, not being able to meet who you wanted to, all those things, they bring stress into our life. Said over half, that's 50%, 57%, are worried about being separated from their family and friends. So obviously when these surveys went out, the surveyors, they, they asked the people all the questions and they came back with these statistics. Well, if it's so common amongst us, what has God done? Or what is God doing to alleviate stress? He doesn't want his children to suffer negative stress. Now, I've said that stress is something uh, natural in life. It comes to us and we have to manage it and deal with it. I can't teach how to get rid of it because it's impossible to get rid of it. It's like saying, well, it's impossible to get rid of fear or it's impossible to get rid of joy. You can't get rid of it. It's just part of life we have to learn to manage and work with. Through the scriptures... God has made great provision uh, for every eventuality in our lives. Knowing the negative effect of stress, in the Word of God, he has put so many stories, so many illustrations, so many encouragements for us to cope with stress, to handle stress. He has said to us over and over again, listen, you need to walk with me. You need to depend on me because it's only by living with me and close with me that we can overcome stress because it's there all the time. We'll expand on the whole thing of what it is and how it affects us as we work through tonight. Many times it says in scripture, we're to fear not. 
it's repeated that it's in there 365 times. I think one day when I've got nothing else to do, and that's very rare, I might sit down and find all the references and see if that's true. And of course, they say 365 because that's how many days in a year. So God is saying to you every day, don't, don't be afraid, don't worry, don't be anxious. Have a relationship with me and we will walk through with much less damaging stress in your life. We're told to only believe. We're told to cast all our cares upon him. We're told to be anxious for nothing. Now you say, oh, I know all those verses. You see, we've got to go beyond them simply being words written on a page that we know are true to walking with the Saviour, to walking with God so it becomes a personal, real, living experience. Knowing the word is good, but living the word It takes a little bit more. It takes a real depth relationship with God himself. The passage of scripture that we're going to look at over the next, uh, well, tonight and the next three weeks will be that passage that's familiar to, I would think, all of you here. And uh, at a push, you could probably all recite this one to me. It's the 23rd Psalm. Of all scriptures... It's one of the most popular scriptures there is. The the most popular one, we can all guess what that is. It's John 3.16. It is the gospel in, in just one sentence. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever trusts in him will receive its eternal life. This one, if you look at the, the most popular ones, it's usually two or three or somewhere up there. The 23rd Psalm. It is as though God wanted us to know it. He's made it so popular, he wants us to know it, to remember it, and to live in the truth of it. So we, we should perhaps, when we feel stressed, turn to this one and let, let God speak to us through it. But see, I want to take you beyond that. I want you not to just simply turn to the word and use it so you have a relationship with the word. That's good. I want you to walk with Jesus Christ and know his personal presence in your life. The word of God, as we read it, of course, is full of life. It is, it is the breathed word of God. It has life within it. The spirit of God wrote it and uh, is the author of it. But also remember that any word of God has to be combined with faith for it to have any life in it at all. Simply to read the word and not join it with the faith that's in your heart, it has very little effect. So in this lesson then, we will simply reflect on the first two or three verses. Like I say, each week we'll progress through this psalm and we'll draw the truth from it, we'll draw the promises from it, uh, and everything that God has for us But as I keep saying, it's not about just words on a page. It's about understanding and walking with this one who promises to be your shepherd. Psalm 23 then, the first three verses. This is David speaking. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the creator of the universe, the one 
the one who is above everything, the one who fills the universe, the one who has provided everything, the one who does everything, the one who holds all power, the creator of the universe, the Lord, he is my shepherd. You see, it's more than words, isn't it? You've got to step beyond the words into the reality of meeting the person. It's almost like the Lord is saying, listen, I, I am your shepherd. I walk with you on a daily basis. He goes on to say, I shall not be in want. There is, I will, while I have this relationship with God, I will lack nothing. He, this creator of the universe, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, this creator of the universe, he leads me beside quiet waters. He, this great, magnificent God who fills the whole universe, he restores my soul. Sometimes we read the word of God far too quickly. It's as though if we've read a lot of it, we've done ourselves good. Sometimes we should read a lot slower and less of it and let it do the work it wants to do in our lives. The truth is, you will experience stress all the time. Like I said, it's like all the other things that come to our life. It's just part of life. God has designed us that way. He made us that way. Stress then is inevitable in our lives. Stress comes to us most days. Some people stress about getting out of bed. Some people stress about what clothes they should put on or what breakfast they should have or what coffee or tea or, or whatever. So, so we can stress all the time about just about everything in our lives because we're not supposed to. It's harmful. It's detrimental to us. So I was saying on one hand, stress is a normal function but we have to learn to manage stress in our lives. Stress is common in our lives. We speak about it often in other terms. Let me just give you a few examples of that. When relationships become fractured, and they do all the time, we're all different. We're, we're, we're people with opinions, we can hold different opinions, we can say things easily that upset people. When relationships become fractured, we feel the tension between us. That tension is just another word for the stress that exists. When our health suffers, we might fear the worst. That is just another way of saying we stress about worrying about what it might lead to. When the workplace creates overload, and of course the people we want, uh, sorry, the people we work for, they want overload, they want to make more profit, they wanna, when, we, when we're in an environment where we're overloaded with work, we experience pressure. Just another word for stress. When we study and we can't get our heads around what it is we're studying and we, we feel we question our ability intellectually to, to get hold of something, we, we stress. When tension arises in the home and the atmosphere is disturbed in our houses, that's another way of describing stress. 
when life in the community is unsettled, we seek to find peace with our neighbours and uh, those that are around us so we don't live with this stress. And every day, when we look at the world generally, there are conflicts every day. Uh, I can understand why people don't look at the news or listen to the news because it's conflict after conflict and in time we become weary. Because we are Christians and we mourn for others, we become wearied by all the news that we hear. Part of life then is learning how to handle and manage the stress that comes to us day after day. Your ability to handle stress is related in part to the resources you have in your life. Resources like money. The more money you have, not that money cures everything, but it, it deals with a lot of stresses problems. A lot of people argue and quarrel and fall out and divorce and all sorts of terrible things and do awful things because they have insufficient money. They want more money. And so if you have a little bit more money, that's a bit of a thing that is a, a resource to help you stop stressing. A good education can be another thing that can help you not stress so much. Common sense is another powerful thing that can help you. Some people have no common sense and they just seem to be stressing all the time. Sometimes we have power in our lives so we can, uh, we can move, as it were, and exercise authority in places. That can reduce the stress. Or self-confidence. People who are very uh, not self-assured, they're stressing all the time that they're not good enough or capable of doing something. So if we have self-confidence, that can help us. That is another resource to draw on to help us cope with stress. As a Christian, the most important resource that we possess is our relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a little or a lot of the other resources that can help you, but the most important one is your relationship with him. I could say that I, uh, this can't be stressed enough, excuse the pun there, but it's true. It is a reality. Our relationship with Christ at the end of the day makes all the difference whether we live at peace or whether we become stressed in our life, or whether we can handle stress or manage stress well. Jesus gave himself the title, the Prince of Peace. And he said, my peace I leave with you. A peace that the world doesn't understand. Only Christians can know the peace that I leave with you. You have to be related, you see, to the Prince of Peace, for the, the Prince of Peace to come with you and into your life and operate through you. Psalm 23 then. Psalm 23 is often considered as, as a, a psalm for dying. I understand why, because it's at funerals that you hear it read over and over and over again. And I think it's only right it's read there 
it is a, a funeral for a, a verse of scripture that, or a passage of scripture that we would want to hear at a funeral. Of course, you know the verse I'm going to refer to. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil or ill. But I want to suggest to you this evening that Psalm 23 is not a psalm for dying only, but it's a psalm for living for living. We will walk through many valleys. And remember, it doesn't say it's the valley of death. It says it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's a big difference there. So as you're walking through a valley, you're walking under the shadow of something that's negative or harmful to you. So it's as much a psalm for living as it is a psalm for dying because we will walk through dark valley experiences, but they're only shadows. Don't forget, it's a shadow. Who was this David then who wrote the Psalms? You might say, well, does it matter who wrote what in the Bible? It was all written by God, really, through the Holy Spirit. Well, it does, because the authors of different parts of the scriptures, the the Holy Spirit writes through them, their life, their experience, what they walked in, what they went through. David then, he wrote the Psalms. Well, he wrote about half of them. Uh, There's about 150, I think, and he wrote 70-odd of the Psalms. So there's a lot of David in the Psalms. I looked through how many chapters of the Bible were dedicated to David's life, and there's no less than 50. So the life of David is well recorded for us. Uh, All the things he did, all the challenges that he faced, the sins that he got himself embroiled in, the, the places of victory, the places of triumph, and the places of defeat. Without a shadow of a doubt, he was the greatest king of Israel. He was almost like a, a precious uh, person to God, so special to God, tremendously blessed by God, very wealthy, and God poured his grace upon him. God describes David as a man after God's own heart. What does, what does that mean? What does that expression mean? I think it means that he would have done anything that God had asked him to do. He was committed to the Lord, the creator of the universe. And as you read the Psalms and you read this account of him, he definitely walked with God. He had a personal relationship with God. Now, um, without the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, I'm not sure how he did that. We have no excuse. God himself dwells with inside of us and draws us towards the Father and the Son. He reveals the Father and Son to us. So it should be a thousand times easier to walk with God than David ever did. So when you read the tremendous relationship that David had with the Lord, the creator of the whole universe, we should, we should aspire to have a better relationship than David himself had. David was not sinless, and neither are we sinless. But he he still pushed in to God. He still moved into that, that daily relationship with God. 
And remember when he, he committed that terrible uh, sin with Bathsheba, he was heartbroken that God might move himself away from him. He said, Lord, don't remove yourself away from me because I desperately need you. I desperately need to walk and live with you. It is that relationship that as Christians we're growing up into, this relationship where we walk very closely with the Lord. In his life, he walked through many valley experiences but he had a confidence that he could say, it doesn't matter how dark it gets or how difficult it gets, I shall not be in want. Through his relationship with God, he knew that God would always provide for him, always look after him, always care for him. Even if sin was in his life, God was still there, close by him, to, to bring him to a place of repentance. And how does God bring us to repentance? It's through love. It's not through judgment or condemnation, but it's through love. He draws us to repentance through his love. David is saying, there will never arise a need in my life for which I shall not have my heavenly father supply. So when the pressure comes on and I feel my resources are taxed beyond what I can provide or put into this thing, I will turn to the Lord and I know he will meet my every need. That's where we get to. We get to that place in the relationship with God and what can stress us? What can have a negative stress in our lives? David's needs were sometimes spiritual, sometimes physical. They were social, they were material. They were all sorts of needs as you read his life. But he said in all of them, I shall never lack while I am in relationship with the God who created the universe. He didn't stipulate his needs when he wrote this psalm. He says, my God shall supply all of the needs that I have. He left it unlimited. Now, God isn't promising limitless supplies into your life. He's not going to spoil you. I tell you that. Why? Because it's a terrible thing to spoil children. We shouldn't do it. It does them more harm than good. Or he won't simply heap riches on us because he knows how fickle we are. We'd probably run away from God if he gave us too much or we'd do stupid things with it. But he promises that he would meet our need constantly, moment by moment, meeting need. I'm often thought to go back to the children of Israel when they were asked, invited by God to go into the promised land. And they said, no, we're not going we don't, we don't believe that you're going to be with us. You're not going to be supporting us or, or fighting for us. That could be the only way they could have spoken or expressed that. So we're not going in. And it said for, for 38 years, actually, that God was angry with them. But in this anger, he still provided for them every step of the way. He gave them water. He gave them food. He gave them shoes and clothes and shelter. He protected them from their enemies. He was with them even though they made him angry. He was angry with them the whole time. 
to prove his promises to us, for God to prove his promises to us, to demonstrate his great love to us, he might take us to the point of need. Often this means, this point of need, it's often uh, interpreted in a delay to our prayers or to God answering our prayers. We pray, we want God to do something, he doesn't turn up immediately and do it, and so our relationship becomes a little bit shaky. No, go the other way. Just press in more, press in more. Know what the Word of God says, but more the Word of God, you need to know the relationship you have with him. This tremendous loving relationship that God has with you. It is there in our need when God appears not to be hearing or responding. It is then that we stand on the word in this relationship with him, with hands open, with the expectation of God meeting our every need. With God, I will never lack anything. In the natural, over time, our resources, uh, they're depleted. I understand that. And God expects us to live something in the natural, to live this life. I'm not so heavenly minded I've lost touch with reality. Don't worry that about me. Uh, but it's, it's like we, we do live with our natural resources, but they will run out. Uh, just take an example. Maybe somebody is made redundant. He gets a, a package of money uh, and he thinks, well, I'll soon get myself another job and so on and so forth. And of course, as time goes on and a job doesn't appear and the money is depleting all the time, his natural resources run out. He doesn't start to worry. Then he turns to God because God's, God's resources, they're unlimited. They go on and on and on. You can access the resources of God continually. Just like those children for 38 years in the wilderness, they accessed the resources of God continually. They found water in a desert. They found meat and food in the desert. They were clothed, they were shod in the desert if God would do that for a people who he was angry with, how much more will he do it for you? The promises of God can never run out. They can never exhaust themselves. When God says something, when God speaks to us, he speaks through his word to us. And remember, open his word to have him personally relate to you. His words, what he has said, what he has promised, they echo through the ages forever. It says that heaven and earth, the material, the spiritual in that sense, will all fade away. But his word will never drop short. His word will never fade away. What God has said has an eternal value to it. It just goes on and on and on. It's unalterable. It cannot be changed and so we need to walk with him, learning his ways, his character, and who he is. God can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. 
He can never break a promise. He can't do that. Now, that's why it's important we walk with God on a continual, regular, daily basis so we get to know the voice of God. Not everything written in the Word of God is God speaking to you. But as you walk with Him and you know Him and you relate to Him, you know when He speaks to you. That's why it's vital that we go beyond the Word into a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. God said, I will always be with you. That is my covenant commitment to you. It is the Holy Spirit who is sent to us, who reveals God to us, the person of God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a promise God made. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant saints, New Testament saints. He said this, I will never, never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. That means I will never withdraw my help from you. I will always be with you. It's him we want. We want to walk with him. We don't want to simply walk with his word and what he said. We want to walk with him. What was the secret of David's assurance? How could he be so sure? He didn't have the abiding of the Holy Spirit within inside of him. How could he be so sure? And is it possible that we can be as sure as David was? As assured as he is that God would never let us down, always meet our every need? Listen to what David said in that first line of the song. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. This is not a doctrinal statement. This is a relational statement. The Lord is my shepherd. We say in the New Testament, our Father which art in heaven, our Father. You see, Jesus has given us the same thing. He's your Father. He's, I'm, I have sons and I'm, I'm carnal or wicked or whatever it is in relationship to being a human in relating myself to God. I'm, 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 you know, can't even put it on the same page really. But if my sons ever wanted anything, do you think I would say, no, I can't be bothered? Of course, my response would be, yes, what can I do? How can I help? How can I respond to you? How much more our Heavenly Father says, listen, I'm here. I'm, I'm literally here for you all the time. David knew something of that intimate, personal relationship that he had with God. Here's a question. Do you possess God? Do you possess him? Do you possess the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you, do you own God in the same way that God owns you? You see, we've got to move away from this God who's over here or over there, going to him, coming away from him. We've got to stop that. I'm married. Most of you know of my wife. She owns me. I own her. 
Because of our covenant marriage relationship, I gave myself to her. Well, I don't know whether she wanted me, but she got me. She owns me. I'm hers. And that's a, and she's mine. Jesus speaks about this, doesn't he? He says, you can't keep yourself apart from one another because you've given yourself to one another. Uh, and of course, the marriage is a picture of, of us and God. It's about the covenant relationship we have with him. So God owns us. Do you own God? Once God lost us, through Adam, Adam sold us out to the devil, as it were. So God, everything in the world is God's technically. He lost us to the enemy, but then he sent Christ to come and die to gain us back to himself. So God owns us twice. He owns us as part of creation and he owns us because he purchased us back from the enemy with the very blood of Christ. He paid the price for you. So God owns you. We, we need to own God. There's that lovely verse in Song of Songs, you know, uh, that Solomon wrote. It's, it's the key verse in the whole book. Uh, it's chapter six, I think. It says, I and my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. In the NIV it says, I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. God says, I am yours, and you are mine. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. We're to own God, we're to possess God, we're to have God, we're to draw him to us and walk with him in a closeness that's what we mature into. It's more than a relationship with salvation. That's wonderful. It's more than a relationship with words on a book, even though we know them to be the truth and the promises of God. We need to go beyond just the experience of a relationship with a book to a relationship with the person of God himself, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, Jesus said, I and the Father will come and dwell with you. And he sends the Holy Spirit to bring them inside of us and to us. Christ never, never intended us to handle life's problems on its own. Even when he created Adam and Eve, God met with them on a daily basis so they could walk through life together all the time. The shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep, the Christ who we love and know and walk with, he will sometimes guide us into very difficult terrains. He doesn't do this to test us or to hurt us. But he does this to take us into richer pastures. He knows that over the mountain there is lush ground. There is a place of peace and tranquility and water where we can rest and be at peace. He says, listen, we're going to go over the terrain into that place. And that's where life gets difficult with God. He's not testing you to see if somehow you'll let him down. He's walking with you to a greater place, to a more wonderful experience. The last thing that the father or the son ever want to do is to hurt you. They've come to shepherd you, to lead you, to feed you, so they can be your Lord. They can be your shepherd. 
If the Lord himself then is our primary resource, what part does the church play in all this? How important is the church? When I talk about the church, of course, I'm talking about relationships. Our primary relationship is God. I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And then I am to love my neighbour. So God is saying, listen, the first law is you love me and walk with me. The second is you walk with your brothers and sisters. It's it's, It's the thing that we have to do. He never left that out. He handed it to that one. God knows that we need physical, relational support in this world. Jesus can't give you that. That's why he's given us families and and everything else that we need. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ. A brother and sister in the church is someone that you are to love and walk with. You're to walk with them. You're to share your life's experiences with them. Isn't it funny how the devil just keeps us so separated? And, and this is even worse. We're even more separated now. We just see each other on little screens and you all look like postage stamps to me. It's an awful thing. But he's given us the church so we can relate to brothers and sisters. Also in the church, he's given us mothers and fathers who are mature Christians who have gone ahead of us, who have worked some of this stuff out. And they're there as well to teach and support and to encourage you. So he brings us into a family of physical human relationships that we might enjoy our brothers and sisters. We might be encouraged when we're down, someone can lift us up, we can be loved. And then with parents who could teach us and look after us and protect us. But they're not to replace our relationship with Jesus. They're only to point us to Jesus. Sometimes ministers have to get out the way so that Jesus is the one that's seen, not them. It doesn't matter how good they are. You know, if if a minister gets too good, God might just take him down a little bit for the sake of the people and for his own sake that people will not be focused on the person. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow this one. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's him that we have our primary relationship with. The responsibility of brothers and sisters in the church is to open the scriptures to us, to help us to grow in the scriptures until we grow into that relationship with God himself, to walk with you as you grow up into Christ. I said at the start there was uh, stress that comes to all of us and there's there's positive stress and and there's negative stress. So uh, a positive stress is a good thing in our lives. It sometimes activates us and energises us. Other stress causes fatigue and irritability and depression in our lives. Let me give you some examples of positive stress. I'm sure all of you at some time in your life have gone on a roller coaster. You know, you get in the car and it starts clunking, doesn't it, as it goes up, clunk, clunk, clunk. And, and all of a sudden, you can start feeling the stress even while you're sitting in the car. And then, of course, we get to the, the first top bit and we know it's going to happen. It's just going to go crazy. It's just going to pour down the hill. And, of course, it is the stress that we're feeling that makes it all fun. 
It's the terror mixed with the excitement that just makes the ride something special. Imagine going on a roller coaster and never getting stressed. Well, it'd be awful, wouldn't it? And waste of money. So we, that is a positive stress in our lives. It just, it makes us ready for things. In preparing for an exam, you get a little bit stressed. You're thinking, I hope I've covered all the right subjects and will I be able to answer this question properly? And when you go in the exam room and you sit down and you feel the stress coming and you open the paper, remember when you last did an exam and you open the paper and you read the question, you go, oh, oh, I don't know what that even means. I have no part of, of answering this one. And then when you sometimes read a question, you go, whoa, I know everything about that one. It's the stress there, and it's great, it's great. It sort of sets you up to do your best. Preparing for marriage can be a positive stress. Make sure you cover all the bases as the day gets nearer and nearer. Having a baby, not that I know much about having a baby, apart from being a spectator of it, but I'm sure women uh, could say, yeah, Phil, it's quite stressful, but we need the stress within it to produce what needs to be produced. So I'll just take your word for that. Moving house can be very stressful because we're moving somewhere different. We're up in uh, states and we're going somewhere else. That can be, all of those are positive stresses. And they're good. They're usually, well, they're short-lived and they're exciting and positive. But negative stresses, they can become long, long periods where negative, negativity just grabs hold of us. And it leads to physical exhaustion. It leads to emotional despair. That's what God comes to alleviate, to remove from our life. Negative stress is when the natural resources are overtaxed and we're not relating properly to God and we've got nothing else to deal with the stress and we just, we go nowhere. I'm really concerned for some people over the last 12 months. They have been desperately stressed, some people. We know this. The, 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 the news, it tells us how abuse has gone up, how uh, some people are feeling more mentally ill than they were perhaps before. They're feeling very depressed. They're feeling anxious. Uh, some people, it might take them a long time to even come out of their homes again because stress has been worked out in their lives over a long time. How do we break free? Well, to break free of stress, if you're a stressful person, you have to understand what the stress is. It's as though you have to take a step back and look at your life and view it and ask yourself some questions about stress. Now, um, some people get very stressed. Some people don't get stressed at all. And some people are in between. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, no, I won't say that. I'll move on, I think. Okay, let's identify, let's identify stress. You have to ask yourself the question, what am I stressing about? What, what am I stressing about? Take a step back, as I said, and just ask yourself the question, am I stressing over an event in my life? Maybe a death of a relative or a uh, a break-in of, of my house or break-ins in, in my property, um, going through a divorce, terrible stressful things. 
ask yourself the question, identify the stress. What am I stressing about in my life? It might be a change in your life. Like I said, if you're moving or you're getting promotion at work and you've, you have to think, why am I getting stressed? Sometimes we have to listen to people when they say, what's wrong with you? You're a bit snappy. Take a step back and say, am I stressing? What am I stressing about? Maybe it's the environment where you lived. I was really glad to move away from London because I found the traffic getting worse and worse and worse. I didn't know whether it would take me an hour to get to work or 10 minutes. That's stressful, terribly stressing. Being overcrowded in a situation or surrounded by noise all the time without peace, your environment can be stressing. In the development of your life, maybe going through marriage, entering into marriage or parenthood, that can be stressful in your life. Perceptions. Are you a worrier? Are you distrustful about other people? See, that would cause you to stress all the time. Your personality. Are you an organiser? Oh, if you are, and people live in chaos around you, you're living in stress all the time. See, take a step back, say, what am I stressing about? I, I need to look at this. And if you're a perfectionist, that must be terrible. Because even when you've done the best possible job, you see the little mark, the little flaw, the little error, and it's just, it robs you of all peace and stress is in your life. How much stress is in your life at one time? Ask yourself, take a step back. Have you got two or one or two just small problems that you're working out? That's quite normal. But what about five or six major problems in your life? Well, maybe that's just too much. Maybe you're taking on too much. Maybe you need to step back and say, no, I'm not capable of doing all that. I'm glad I'm the age I am. I have a wonderful excuse now because at my age, I can't cope with very much. That's my excuse anyway. Okay, so it's like I push things away from me, so I'm not going to get stressed. Is the stress a major one or a minor one? Are you turning molehills into mountains? Some people, whatever it is, it's like a mountain. And you've got to say to people, now calm down, this isn't that important. You, you know, it's like you make everything sound so it's awful. That's not helpful. If it's a small thing, deal with it as a small thing. Is the stress predictable or unpredictable? When something comes along in life, you know, this is going to be stressful. You think, well, we're going to be preparing for our holidays soon. That's going to be stressful. We're going to get Christmas. That's going to be stressful. So-and-so is going to happen. So we can prepare ourselves and we can be prepared for the stress that comes along. I want to give you now some of God's resources. Is uh, Resources that never run out, that you can replenish them over and over again. They're inexhaustible and they will help you manage stress. That's what we're doing. I can't eradicate it. It will be there. It's there now. It might be there again tomorrow. It might become more forceful tomorrow. But what does God give us to, to handle? What resources does he give us to handle stress? The number one resource he gives you are relationships. That's the first thing. 
God wants us to surround ourselves with positive people who can be supportive of our life. People we can easily turn to when things become difficult. Don't bottle it all up. Don't keep it all in. And don't lump it all on one person. We need to have more than one person to share our life with. We have families. We need to build relationships with those members in our family that can help us through. We have friends. We are to make friends. Now, I, I, it's generally accepted that I'm, I, you're almost afraid to talk anything gender, aren't you? It's so not politically correct. Anyway, I don't care about that too much. I'll probably get myself into trouble. But it appears that women are very good at making friends, but men are, are really useless at it. They just, they, it take, I don't know whether it takes too much energy or effort or what it is, or they're just not made to do it, but we need friends. Everyone needs friends. We need to be part of a church community if we're Christians. You can't keep yourself out of it for long. We've been out of it for too long. We must have that community around us. And I think within a church, because it's usually a larger number, we need a small group of Christians who we can relate to on a much more personal, meaningful way who can help us and support us. Jesus was supported by his immediate family. They loved him. They didn't understand his mission. I understand that. And so they came maybe more than once to take him away, thinking of all the harm he might do himself to. He was getting himself into hot water constantly, the things he was saying and doing. So they tried to, to, to look after him. They loved him. He had family. He surrounded himself with friends. In fact, there were the friends that God chose for him, 12 men who surrounded him. He also had other friends that were close to him. We know that Martha was a friend. Mary was a friend. Lazarus, he said he loved them. He loved these. We know that Mary Magdalene was a friend. Joanna was a friend. John was a friend. So Jesus surrounded himself with these people and don't worry, they supported him. There was times when Jesus needed their support. We know that when he was going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, pray for me. You, you three pray for me in this place. So he was dependent on his, his friends helping him. That was stress that was coming upon Jesus, just tremendous stress. And so he was reaching to his friends and said, support me in this. Our family, our friends, our church, our, our community, our, our small hub groups or, or fellowship groups, whatever you call them in your church, we need to be part of these. That is what God has given us. Finances. It says that God has given each one of us the ability to make wealth. He has gifted us and graced us with the means by which we can make our way in this world. Now, God is the source of our supply. So we're not looking to anyone else except God, but we're using the gifts and the talents that we have to, 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 to make a way in the world so it reduces the stress from not having sufficient. As we use our God-given abilities and look to God to be the source of our supply. Then as God sends us on a mission, he gives us something to do. He sends us forth, then he supplies everything we need 
to do what he calls us to do. Number one then, he wants us to resource ourselves with friends, resource ourselves with the finances that we need. And if we need more, to look to him, the source. He gives us status, as it were, and power in society. We have a place in society where people are dependent upon us. They look to us. We, 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 we build a network of, of relationships with the place where we work or the place where we live. He gives us status in our society. He also gives us spiritual status that we need to understand that we have. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What does that mean to you to be seated in a heavenly place with Christ? Well, Christ is on the throne and we are sitting next to the King of Kings on his throne. The Word of God says we're co-heirs with Christ. It says we're a child of God. It says we're a brother of the King of Kings. We have status. God has given us status. These are resources that we can call on. We can draw on the resource of the character of God. The Holy Spirit comes to transfer our characters, to transform them, to make them like Christ. Christ has a value system in his life that is based on the fruit of the Spirit. Christ's value system is love and joy and peace and patience. And we know that Christ has come into our heart and he has given us a new value system. Our value system is the same as Christ's now. It is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, just think about those, those, those nine manifestations, as it were, of, of love in our lives. All of these characteristics, they counter negative stress, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, peace. If these are the values of our life, what place can stress have when the values of our life are so counter stress, negative stress in our lives? Another, uh, as it were, a resource that God has given us is a positive attitude. Are you positive? You say, well, uh, sometimes I'm positive. No, we have to have a positive attitude. As a man thinks, so he is. If you think negative about yourself, that's what you are. As a man thinks, so he is. We must learn to control our thought life. We don't entertain the negatives. We don't entertain rebellion. We don't entertain resentment or fantasy or daydreaming or anger or hopelessness or unbelief or doubt. We just choose not to do it. One of the resources is to have a positive attitude in our life. Jesus says, think about these good things. Think about the positive things. And then these negative things, they won't crush you. Learn to focus on Christ, first on Christ and his words. Talents and abilities, God has graced us. It's a resource for our life. We have a special gifting or special abilities 
recognize the giftings and the abilities you have, develop them in your life, and then practice them on a daily basis. God wants you to be delighted in yourself. He wants you to rejoice in what you're able to do. Of course, it's his gifting and his grace, but he's given it to you. As you develop this in your life, you will have a much more positive attitude towards yourself and towards life generally. God has given us this resource. The devil will come and say, you're useless. You're no good at anything. You can't do that. You're not as good as that person. He does all this all the time. Why? Because he's a liar from the beginning. He comes to steal from us that which God is trying to give us to cause us to walk in freedom in our lives. He wants to rob us of our resources. The last one I've got as a resource is organisation. How much chaos do you live in? You say, well, don't look in my house, don't look in my bedroom, don't look in my car, don't look on my desk because it's about who I'm like. It's chaos. There's mess everywhere. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. God builds by patterns. He builds by structures. God records everything, you know. Uh, sometimes if you read through the whole Bible, it becomes very tiresome that God writes everything down in great orders and lists and he's repetitive again and again and again. And you say, God, if this is teaching me anything, it's teaching me that you're a God of order. You're a God of keeping records. But I, in my Bible now, I have green squares around all those long lists. So I know where to jump to next so I don't have to read them all. But I get the, I get the essence of it. I'm sure there's a lot more in it I'm not getting. But I, I jump over those so I can move on to something that seems to have a bit more meat and body to it. But God records everything. He brings order into chaos. The world, the world had fallen into a place of chaos and he comes in Genesis 1 and he sorts out the chaos. He brings it into order. One of the resources of God is to bring order into your chaotic world. You have the nature of Christ. You can do this. He straightens the crooked paths. He levels out the uneven places. He divides things into small sections. Have you ever thought about this? We have years months, weeks, days, hours, minutes, seconds. Where did we get all that from? Well, we made it up in a way, but God gave it to us. God says, listen, we can order things. Things have rhythms. They have systems to them. And so we need organization in our life. We need rhythm. We need, we need order in our lives. It is one of the resources of God to be organized. We would stop being so stressful if we had some structure. We are to build up then our resources. We're to expand on them. We're to make sure we nurture these resources in our life. I love what Paul says in Romans 7 and 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. What a, what a wretch I am. He says, who will rescue me 
from my wretchedness? Who will rescue me from the chaos I'm in? Who will rescue me from this body I find myself in? And he calls it a body of death. It is, it is a hopeless situation. Then he says, thanks be to God. Because Jesus Christ is the one that brings order into my chaos. He brings life where there was death. He removes the stress from my life and he brings peace into my life. See, it's Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus and him coming fully into your life. You possessing him and him possessing you that brings order into our lives. Being a Christian no way excludes stress from our lives. In fact, it will bring persecution into your life. It will bring ridicule into your life. Jesus said it will. If you pursue me, you will be persecuted. If you run after me and want a relationship with me, people will ridicule you. Your stress will increase. But the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd with you, walking through you. He is your shepherd. It's not that he was your shepherd, or one day Jesus Christ will be your shepherd. Jesus Christ is the shepherd of your life now. Come to me, he says. Let's do this together. Let's walk together in this thing. The Christian's greatest resource to manage and handle stress in our lives, to deal with the negative, to embrace that which is positive, is to walk with the person of Jesus Christ in our lives, constantly with him. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He takes me over the difficult places to bring me into a quiet place. He leads me beside still waters in my life. He, the shepherd of my soul, restores my soul. He, the Prince of Peace in my life. Amen. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to come back next week to hear the second lesson of handling stress. Also, if you would like to partner with Arise Ministry, you can do so by going to ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.